Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage from the book of Matthew. And you know we've been doing the Year of the Bible readings, and I really hope that you have started to catch the big picture of God's character and nature and his love for you and for the world, especially those who don't know him yet. Have you guys been catching that? Like the big picture vision of what God's about? Because oftentimes as Christians, we segment off the Old Testament from the New Testament. But you can't really understand the New Testament if you don't understand or know about some of the Old Testament history with God and his people. And that's why we set out to go through the entire Bible in a year. So now we've been in the New Testament for a little while, and we come across an important character. And so as we look at the book of Matthew and other scriptures, we're actually going to pick on Peter for a little bit. Because I believe that God is wanting to encourage us with three characteristics that Peter displays. Definitely not an extensive list, but things that, ways that Peter acted and lived that were both his strength and his, simultaneously his weakness. You guys ever had a strength that's become a weakness to you? My extroversion is a strength, but it's a weakness when I'm trying to get home after church on time. Can I get an amen, Maritza? You know, it's like your strength, your, the very thing that God gives you as a strength can become your weakness when it is not submitted to Jesus. Peter is a prime example of someone who was a little bit of a doofus, but we can learn a lot from him because, to be honest, we're all a little bit like Peter, whether we'd like to admit it or not. Some of you are more like Peter than you should be, let's just be honest, myself included. So we're going to look at three characteristics because, you see, Peter went on to become one of the founding members of the movement of Christians that we call the church of Jesus. How did this guy go from being a zealot to being this man that God used even to the point of becoming a martyr? Well, we're going to look at three things. Are you all ready? Cool. So Jesus, we want to say thank you for your word that it never returns void. So we trust you now that you are going to instruct us and teach us your heart so that we can more closely follow you and bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, Peter spoke his mind even when no one else would. In Matthew chapter 16, it says this, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? See, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, they said this because there were prophecies that the spirit of Elijah would return. So he's, he's calling them out saying, who do the people say I am? So people at the time were saying, Maybe this is the guy who comes before the Messiah. Maybe this is John the Baptist having resurrected again. Maybe, maybe this, maybe that. 
So then Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? He's talking to his disciples who were with him on a daily basis, eating with him, spending time with him, praying with him, ministering with him. And Simon Peter, gotta love Peter. He says, I almost imagine him being like, oh snap, this is easy. You're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. No one else was saying that, but Peter jumped up and was like, I know, I know, I know. You're the Messiah. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I wonder if Simon was like, Simon Peter was like, bro, that's not my name, Barjona. Why are you throwing that? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Can you imagine Peter at this moment? He's probably walking around me like, yeah, you hear that? He gave me a new name. He's going to build the church on me, and he's going to give me keys. Check it out, disciples. Who's his favorite? And John's like, just wait till I write my gospel, bro. <laughs> you just wait. You're going to see who, because you know John, he was also a funny character. He wrote about himself and called himself the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he also said at one point, he's like, oh yeah, and the one whom Jesus loved ran faster than Peter and beat him to the tomb. So John was a, we'll preach about him some other time. He's a character too. But in this moment, Peter, you see, his confession led him toward his call. His willingness to speak out the truth about who Jesus was in that moment when no one else was saying the correct thing, he stepped out and said it. And in that moment, he entered into his calling. Because God changed his name. Peter means rock. So it kind of goes like this. The original in Aramaic, Jesus said, your name's going to be Cephas, which that's kind of a gross sounding name. Sounds like a disease or something. But then in the Greek, his name is Petros, which means stone or pebble, rock. Now, when Jesus says on this rock, I'm going to build my church, he's not talking about on Peter. He's talking about a boulder rock. The Greek there is a boulder rock, a large rock. What he's referring to is the truth that Peter confessed. What truth was that? That Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the one and only son of the living God. So that is the truth, the simple truth that the church is going to be built on. The church is not going to be built on a person. The church isn't going to be built on a personality. The true church of Jesus Christ is going to be built on the truth that this word is true. That Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the only son of the living God. Peter may have understood that at the time, but I'm guessing he probably didn't. He may have been getting a little bit of a swollen head, thinking about himself, like how important he was. And here's the other crazy thing. He says to his disciples, not only can the gates of hell not prevail against you, because you're going to go and storm the gates of hell, and you are going to yank people out of the enemy's camp, and he's not going to be able to do anything about it. Not only that, he's going to give keys to his church, and keys are a symbol of authority. 
You see, because in the beginning, God had the authority, he created all of mankind, and then he gave authority to humanity to rule the earth. Then they decided to obey Satan. They gave their authority to Satan. And for a period of time, Satan had authority on the earth. Then Jesus, the victor, when he died, he went down to heaven and snatched those keys back and said, those belong to me. And then later, when he was ascending to heaven, he gave authority back to who? Humanity, the people who gave it away in the first place. And he said, all authority has been given to me, now go. So he's saying here, he's pointing forward to when he would ascend and he would give authority, keys, back to the human race, to the church, to his bride, to the body of Jesus, so that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever we loose or unbind on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you guys realize that you have the authority of Jesus Christ? So when, when the enemy is pillaging your family or trying to, you gotta, be, you gotta remind him he does not have authority over you. And not only does he not have authority over you, you do not have to be afraid or intimidated of the enemy. Why? Because he is under the feet of Jesus and you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Do you hear what I'm saying today? A couple weeks ago, our van broke down. 141,000 miles on a Honda and it just toast. We changed, you're probably thinking he didn't change the oil. Look, I'm a pastor, but I'm, I'm, I know we got to change the oil. I know that. Our mechanic said, I have no idea why this died. It just, just happened. So we borrowed a car from someone in this church. She doesn't know this yet, but I got out there this morning and it wouldn't start. It was totally dead. She's probably thinking, why didn't you tell me that earlier? Sorry, I'll, tell, I'll talk to you about it later. But you know, it's like in some instances we could think like, oh man, the enemy, man, he's just like, he's just picking at me. It's because, you know, I fell through a deck and now my, the second car is in my car is dead in my driveway. No, no. Guess what? The enemy may try to pick at you, but he has no authority over you. He doesn't have any authority over me. Now, there's a caveat here. There's the only time the enemy has authority is when you give it to him. How do you give authority to the enemy? It's by obeying his way. So I'm not, I'm not going to say that the enemy never has authority over you because you can give him authority in your life. Just like a hater who hates on you on a regular basis, really their words don't have any weight unless you give them weight. Same situation here. Because you are seated in Christ, in heavenly places, and the enemy is under his feet. The enemy has no authority over you. So I'm not going to look at a broken down car as like, man, the enemy's just he's gaining ground on us. No. No, because you know what's going to happen? Whether I fall through a deck or break a leg or crash a car or lose my wallet, which I may have, it's... it's uh, Jesus is still going to get glory through our lives. Because I hope, like Peter, we can choose to be bold and courageous and step into our call as disciples of Christ no matter what happens or what comes along. Peter went through some stuff, guys. But he finished his race by exalting Jesus. 
So the second thing here that Peter shows us as a characteristic that I think is kind of fun is that he was zealous. So when I say zeal, I mean emotionally reacting without thinking about the consequences. Anybody? Where are my Italians at? My Irish folks, the Welsh, where are you at? Yes. But you see, that, that is actually a strength when it's submitted to Jesus. Because while Peter definitely had foot in mouth disease and his zeal took him places he didn't want to go at times, you know, like he cut off a dude's ear in the garden and then Jesus put it back on. If I was those guys coming to take Jesus away, I would have been like, let's get out of here. <laughs> so he did that and Jesus rebuked him. But you see also, if you fast forward in his life, Peter was the first one to stand up and declare the message of the gospel on the day of Pentecost to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in a place where he could have easily been stoned to death for what he said. But he did it. I don't know if he was afraid or not, but it says that he, they had all been filled with the Spirit and Peter noticed that all these people were crowding around to see what was going on. And so he said, hey, let me explain to you what is happening here. These people aren't drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That doesn't happen until noontime. And he goes to unpack the beautiful message of Jesus Christ in a place and situation where he could have easily been had his life taken from him. So you see, the same zeal that got him in trouble at times was also the same zeal that when submitted to Christ and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit actually was an empowering and fulfilling strength for the glory of God. His strength sometimes became his weakness and his weakness became his strength. We see this scripture in Mark chapter 8. It says this. Imagine the audacity, the, the audacity of Peter to do this to Jesus. So Jesus began to teach them saying that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ouch. Think about that. I don't know about you, but if Jesus called me Satan, I would probably stop following him. You know, it's like, that is a huge, get behind me, Satan. What? But you see, Jesus was calling Peter out. He said, great zeal, great vision, not where I'm going. You're missing it. You are thinking like a man, and you are not thinking according to the plan of God in this situation. You see, because Peter had an agenda that he wanted Jesus to fulfill. Peter believed that the Messiah was going to come as a king to overthrow the Roman rule, kick him out, and put the Jews back on top again. Because you see, the Jews had been dominated by the Romans, virtually enslaved and oppressed. And Peter's belief was that the Messiah was there not to be killed, but instead to overthrow these guys who were oppressing them. So you could imagine... 
How confused Peter must have felt when he's like, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to be denied. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. Peter's like, no, 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 no. Because my expectation of you is that you are going to live and that's how it's going to be. And together we're going to throw these guys out of here. But instead he finds himself with all these good ideas being told that he's acting like Satan and being rebuked by the Messiah. Which, by the way, in case you're wondering, this is directly after Jesus just told everyone that Jesus is the Christ. So he goes from this super high, high, like, woo, I got it right. 50 million gold stars for me on my chart. Got a new name. Now I'm getting told that I'm like Satan. But I think you and I can relate to this because there are times where we have expectations of God that he has no intention of fulfilling. And what I see in Peter that we can model here is have zeal, but be willing to yield to the will of God. It is easy to walk around telling God what he should be doing. But the truth is this, we're not in charge. This is not our church. This is not our mission. You might think that's your family, but that family belongs to Jesus. You might think that life is yours. You belong to Jesus. If you've given your life to him, it belongs to him. You're not in charge and neither am I. He is in charge. So when we go around thinking we can tell God what to do, like he should obey our agenda, we need to get in line with the thinking of God and set aside the thinking of men. And this comes into play here in this very church, my friends, because we have expectations of what he should do in our church, through our church, what programs we should run, for instance. I've had people tell me things like, well, if you guys don't do this, you're going to lose me and I'm a tither. Well, whose church is this? Now, I understand because if you're a giver and you tithe, you feel a sense of ownership and you should feel a sense of ownership and pride over this ministry and church. However, who does this ministry belong to and why are we doing what we're doing in the first place? If it's not to glorify the name of Jesus above every other name, then maybe we should quit. It's not about us. But as we get older... Now, I just had a birthday a little bit ago, and so I'm a little bit older than I was a little while ago. I'm not going to tell you how old I am because I'm getting nervous about it. But we start to settle into our patterns and our routines. But what Peter models for us is the flexibility of mind and heart to be zealous, but to learn to be zealous for his agenda, not our own. And man, that's really hard. It is really hard to lay aside your wants and desires and hopes and dreams and yield to the work of Jesus. Because what if what God wants to do at this church is going to look different than it did last year? Are we going to let him? Let him? I believe that this church is full of people whose hearts are ready to say yes to that. Because I believe that God wants to take us to a new place to do new things in new ways for his name and for his glory. And I say this often with the guys back there. I'm like, may we all be forgotten. 
but may his name be exalted above every name, everywhere. Let our church be forgotten, for goodness sake, but let his name never, ever disappear. Our lives are really short. And that's something I think that during this season of discipleship of a couple of years with Jesus, Peter got his selfish ambition beat out of him through his mistakes, through God's, Jesus' loving correction and teaching and example. Peter learned how to be a person who was you know, speaking his mind, being zealous, yet submitted to the will and way of Jesus Christ. And that is my prayer for us as well. You see, Graham Cook says this about the Holy Spirit's ability to correct us. He says, the Holy Spirit has a way of telling us really difficult things to hear while at the same time making you feel brilliant about yourself. If you haven't been corrected by the Lord recently, you're amazing. Or maybe you might be avoiding an area that he wants to do a little shaping in. The third characteristic that we see in Peter's life is this. Peter was hot. All right, next point. Just kidding. <laughs> my wife saw this in my notes and she's like, oh, this again? <laughs> in the most loving kind of way. Peter was humble, open, and teachable. God can do a lot with broken people like you and me if we're humble enough to be open to be taught. There's no such word as unteachable. The word is incorrigible. I don't know why it's English for you. But when we have a spirit that is not willing to be taught, it really does limit God's access to us and it limits God's ability to work through our lives. And this is something that Peter did really well, especially as he aged and matured like a fine wine. He became humble enough to let Jesus teach him, correct him. Because like I said, when, when he rebuked Jesus and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, he could have bounced right then and said, forget you. I don't get you. Why are you calling me Satan? Why are you saying you're going to die? We have an agenda we have to do here. Don't you know that? But instead, he said, okay, okay, I have got to learn what he is talking about. And he yielded himself to be taught. What's crazy is this, he even went and met with Jesus on the seashore while Jesus was cooking up some fish and had some loaves of bread from somewhere. After he had rose from the dead, and Jesus didn't even bring up the fact that Peter had denied him or any of that. He just said, do you love me? And I can imagine Peter, through all of his zeal and all of his courage and all of his ups and downs and his cowardice and this and this and that, he's just looking face to face with Jesus and he's saying, man, I, I do love you. I really do. I want to know how to love you better. And Jesus said, well, do you love me like this? He says, yes, yes, I do. He gives him some instruction. And then Jesus says, do you really, really, really love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. But even through that, that was a point, I believe, where Jesus needed to have a conversation with Peter. 
to remind him of who he was and also remind him of who he was not. And I think that through all this process, this is why Peter could confidently say in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He could say that with authority because he had to learn that. This wasn't theory for him. He was a practitioner of being a goof up and learning humility and learning how to follow Jesus. And see, this word resist or oppose literally means to be opposed to or resist someone. God opposes and resists proud attitudes in people and proud people. But this word grace, the way it is being used here, it literally means strengthening. He gives strengthening to humble people. And that's why the Bible can say things like he uses the weak to confound the strong or in, in weakness, God's strength is perfected. You see, the wholeness of God's strength and ability sits in you when you are in your weakness, when you recognize your humble position. You see, humility is this. It is a deep awareness in this circumstance. It is a deep awareness of one's own littleness. I've heard it said many times that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. But I love that this, this example of humility that Peter's putting on display, what he's talking about is recognize how little you are in comparison to the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our culture today, we despise people that look humble. But really, it's the humble people who possess the strength of God to then go do the mission of God. And I believe that God is calling us to learn from Peter's example of what it means to be hot, to be humble, open, and teachable. I don't care how many degrees you have or how much experience you have or how many children you've raised or how many organizations you've led or businesses you've started or how many failures you have navigated, whatever it might be, you always, we always have an opportunity to learn more from one another and from God. God wants to use each other to teach each other things about him that we have never known. God wants to use one another to shape our view of God's way in what he wants to do. God wants to shape you by being a part of this community. You see, Peter, when he was writing that verse about God opposing the proud but giving grace to the humble, he was echoing something that Paul was talking about and writing about. And he says in Romans chapter 12, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly of himself, and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has apportioned to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. Everything that you possess that you consider a strength can become a weakness. But submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, those strengths that can become weaknesses can be strengths because they are aimed at his purposes. Peter learned to submit himself to the Lord's leading, and he never lost his zeal. He simply submitted his zeal to the lordship 
and leadership of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter embodied something that a Singaporean Christian leader coined, and it's called humbition. You might be like, what is that? Humbition is humble ambition. Humbition is humble, God-aimed ambition for his kingdom purposes. And I believe God wants you to have that as well. That you recognize your littleness, but at the same time, you have God-inspired ambition for his kingdom. If you don't dream about what God might want to do through your life while you're alive, I want to challenge you to press into him and ask him for some ambition, some sacred ambition for his kingdom. God wants to infuse. I don't care if you are 96 years old. And if you're 96 and a half, you too. Or you are eight years old. God has a purpose. He has given gifts and strengths into you, into your personality, into how he has designed you. With his thumbprint on your life, God has given you gifts designed for his purposes. For the purpose of serving his kingdom. And like Peter who went on to serve with zeal and honor and courage filled with the Holy Spirit until he was martyred to death. You also have been called to serve Jesus in a manner like this. And I pray that over this coming year, we would begin to embody this attitude of humble ambition, of humbition, where we start to think about not just our own agenda, but God's agenda. What are you doing? What do you want to do through my life? How do you want to use me? What areas do you need to, to, to sand off my life, even if it's uncomfortable? It's not guaranteed that God's going to have his way through your life. He needs you to cooperate too. Do you guys realize that? It's possible to get in the way of what God wants to do through you. Peter was getting in his own way, tripping on himself. But he learned how to step out of the way and into the way of Jesus. You see, Peter's strengths were also his weakness at times. And they got him in trouble. But like a true disciple of Jesus, he learned humility through a continued relationship with Jesus. And his strengths and ambition were turned toward the service of Jesus and his mission, resulting in glory to God. So here's the good news for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God is doing a beautiful thing in our midst. He's doing a beautiful thing in you. He's doing a beautiful thing in our families and in this city. But here's the thing, I have a question for you to ponder. 
as we move toward our time of communion together, I want you to be thinking about this. Where in your thinking, speaking, or acting do you need to humbly invite the Holy Spirit to teach you, returning to a simple and genuine childlike faith? Where do you need God to shape or transform your thinking, speaking, and doing? You need to ask him, where do I need this, God? Where do you want to shape me to be more like Christ? Because none of us are perfect. We're all in the process together. But I hope that you can see from Peter's example that even someone like Peter, even someone like me, even someone like you, God can shape and transform to be a blessing to the nations. But it starts with the yielded attitude and recognizing this, you can't do it for yourself. It's the Holy Spirit that brings transformation in your life. So this isn't an invitation to just exercise more willpower and try to do something better, just try to be a better Christian. This is about simplifying and becoming like a child where Jesus said, if you're not like a child, you can't inherit the kingdom. I'm not saying childish. Wives, you can, you can nudge your husbands. But childlike. It says you have full dependence on your father. You have full dependence on God. You're interdependent on other people who, that God puts in your life. But recognizing that every need you have is met in King Jesus. And it is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we can live and do for him. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that those strengths that sometimes are your weakness can become strengths for God's glory and for his name. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of willpower. It is a matter of yieldedness to the Spirit to learn to live and love like he calls us to. Church, are you guys ready to do that? Do you want to do that? Do you want to be people that accurately represent him? to these neighborhoods around us and to the nations of the world. Do you want to do that with me? Why don't you guys stand? Because the truth is this, that simply knowing the right thing doesn't give us the power to change. It is the Holy Spirit that guides and transforms us. So let us invite the Holy Spirit to guide and transform us now. Just hold your hands out like this. God, you know the areas of our life that need to be honed and shaped and pruned and trimmed and gotten rid of 100%, God, in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our doing. Without condemning a single person in this room, would you simply just put your finger on those things like a good father? Show us where we need to surrender to you, to yield to you, to yield our will, to yield our desires, to yield our expectations to you, to see you do everything that you want to do in and through us. We are your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. So lead us and guide us, Lord. We need you. We need your presence in our lives. We need your presence in our workplaces and in our families. We need your presence in our bodies to heal us and guide us and lead us and teach us and train us. God, do all that you want to do. 
we surrender to you. Just say yes to the Lord. Just say yes out loud. Yes, Lord, do what you want to do, Jesus. Do all that you want to do. Now, for those of you who are in the room who have yet to give your life to Jesus, I want to remind you what the Bible says from Romans chapter 10. It says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And earlier in chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, I don't want to move on from here without taking the opportunity to say, if you want to raise your hand with me this morning and give your life to Jesus, you do that and we're going to pray together. Thank you. Anyone else? Do you want to make Jesus Lord of your life this morning? Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Church, join me in praying this prayer. You are the Christ, Jesus. I believe that you were raised from the dead to set me free from all that bound me. And I set my trust in you now as my Lord, as my Savior, as my friend. We love you, Jesus. Amen.